Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 282. Follow your passion and move forward. Don't worry about what other people are doing. If you come up with a good idea, other people are going to copy you and follow you, but you know, it's better to be the innovator than be than be a follower. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, David Carl Peters. David, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Uh, I'm ready, Mark. My uh, harness is nice and tight, and I got a parachute here just in case I need to bail out. <laughs> well, I promise I'll be careful so there'll be no bailing out today, okay? <laughs> okay, very good. David Carl Peters of Design Tech Graphics has been graphically designing cars for the biggest names in drag racing for a long time. Since starting his business in 1988, his graphic paint schemes have adorned over 1,200 cars and earned more than 100 Best Appearing Car Awards. His client list is the who's who on the drag strip. Additionally, David is a fine art airbrush artist, creating hundreds of limited edition prints. His art and design in the drag racing world is now being compiled for a publishing, and these days he's turned his eye toward the world of aviation art. David, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a moment and share a little more about your career, your interests, and, of course, your passion for automobiles and drag racing? Uh, well, sure, Mark. And first of all, thank you for having me on the show. You're welcome. Uh, I appreciate that. I suppose cars have always been a big influence in my life. As they, uh, I live in Riverside, and when I was a little kid, they built a 91 freeway right through my backyard. <laughs> so yeah. I got to watch cars go by all the time, and also living in Riverside, uh, my grandfather was a big racing enthusiast, so uh, he took me to Riverside Raceway uh, all the time from, I must have been three or four years old, first time I went out there, so I got to witness every form of motorsports wow. uh, available, and uh, that really uh, inspired my passion for motorsports and racing, and also I've always been intrigued by uh, the style, the stylization of cars, mm -hmm. and the psychological aspect of how cars are styled to uh, appeal to certain uh, sales demographics. So, car styling and design and motorsports have always uh, intrigued me. So, that really lent itself to me becoming a graphic designer and designing paint schemes and doing that in motorsports. Well, it's really cool. First and foremost, a kid that gets to grow up in Riverside and go to all the races back in those wonderful days and all those great race cars and races, how lucky you were. But I, I read on your website, you did, I mean, you've painted graphics for so many cars and it seems like a lot of it revolved around drag racing. Yes. And why is that? Well, drag racing, because hot rodding and drag racing started you know, back in the 60s with the show-and-go aspect of it. Drag racing cars uh, looked as good as they ran. So early on as I was a, when I was a kid, uh, looking at, you know, uh, early drag racing in the 60s, and then when they moved into funny cars, wild custom paint jobs were the norm on those cars. They were beautifully painted. They were works of art. Stylistically, they were formed of function. So they were very futuristic 
And the custom car world was just, there wasn't anything better in the 60s. Most of us baby boomer kids uh, were into that because, uh, because it was so futuristic. Growing up with the Rat Fink and George Barris, <laughs> uh, all of those guys that just pulled these wild ideas you know, out of thin air and turned it into a cultural phenomenon. So that's just one thing. You know, I built model cars as a kid, like all of us did. Yep, so me too. Drag racing was just so exotic and so futuristic at the time. Uh, and there were such beautiful cars that that's always intrigued me. And I've always been fascinated with drag racing cars because of their form to function shape and the bright colors and the beautiful paint jobs. Yeah, well, it just sounds like so much fun. I, too, built a lot of those models as a kid, a lot of dragster models and hot rod models and all those things. And That's what we all did back in that time, you know? Absolutely. Well, we'll learn more about what you've done and what you're doing as we move through this talk, but we, I always like to start by asking my guest for a success quote. It's a saying that's been instrumental in your life, or maybe it's a mantra, but it's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, David, take the wheel. Well, uh... Uh, off the top of my head, I'm always reminded of a great Woody Allen quote that's, that he said, uh, don't look behind you, they may be gaining. <laughs> I love that quote. Well, how have you incorporated that into your career over these well, years? Well, you know, maybe to not look back and not worry about what other people are doing mm-hmm. and just plug along with my own uh, uh, with my own ideas and what I'm doing and, and try not to compare what I'm doing to other people. Oh, okay. As an artist... There's a quote by a famous artist uh, named Robert Henry, and uh, he said, basically, and I'm paraphrasing here, take whatever technique you have and push it and push it, push it until it develops into its own thing, into its own style. Now, as an artist, I definitely use that because I'm an airbrush artist and I'm self-taught. I didn't start uh, my art until I got in my 30s. So once I read that quote, I really just jumped into what I knew and kept pushing that until it developed further. And it, after a while, it did develop me into a full-fledged artist and a painter. So, you know, that Robert Henry quote has probably been the most influential one. Well, it's really cool that both those quotes are great. The first one reminds me of a quote by the great and late Ayrton Senna, the past is just data. I only see the future. And exactly. it's exactly that looking forward. But the second quote, reminds me a lot of a a stylistic piece of artwork that I think you came up with for cars was the tearaway art. Am yeah. I correct? Yeah. Can you explain that Yeah, a little bit? Yeah, that's one of the motifs that I was instrumental in uh, developing. And I started doing that in the late 80s. And I'm not sure where I got the idea from or, you know, where that came about. Actually. Maybe it was but the I Incredible started... Hulk, you know, as his shirt rips off. As he yeah, gets... <laughs> it could be. It, it's just, it just meant fast. It just, it's just shredding, you know, shredding colors. And, yeah. and uh, in the late 80s, I was doing it on some motorcycles because it was way too out there to put on race cars yet. So by the time the 90s rolled around, then I was able to start incorporating, incorporating it onto race cars. And the first car that I used it on was a top fuel car for baseball player Jack Clark, and it was his Taco Bell car. Taco Bell actually had, they had a little bit of that motif going in, in some of their packaging at the time also. So I thought I could actually incorporate it onto his car. Uh, once I did it onto his car, it, you know, it started to creep in doing it on other cars. And uh, 
by the time I did it on 1996 on Blaine Johnson's car, it became a full-fledged uh, stylistic motif, and I, I don't think I drew a straight line on a race car after that. <laughs> Everything had to be shredded. Yeah, yeah. Well, obviously, you hit on a gold mine there with that idea, and I remember seeing so many cars with that type of motif. You probably painted every one of them, but that's so cool that now I get to talk to you. Very neat. Would you share with me a story that instigated your passion for cars? You talked about going to Riverside Raceway with your grandfather, which is just tremendous. But is there a pivotal moment in your life when you really knew that you were a car guy? Well, you know, beyond my grandfather in, in, in the early 60s, you know, I remember coming over to his house when the Indy 500 was running and we would listen to it together on the radio. Mm-hmm. He would uh, have the uh, field listings would be published in the newspaper and he'd get that out and we'd listen to the whole race that way so and you know he took me to riverside raceway all the time so i was very into racing in cars but i didn't know anything about drag racing at the time and one saturday afternoon i'm laying in the den watching saturday morning cartoons and this is i'm guessing 1965 so i was about 10 years old I'm watching Saturday morning cartoons, and, and I can feel the house rumbling. <laughs> the house is rumbling and shaking, and it, it shut off abruptly. And I'm like, what the heck was that? Yeah. That's a sound I'm not used to hearing. My dad steps in the door and goes, come here, I want to show you something. Okay, so I follow my dad. We go through the house. We go out the front door, and I look at my driveway. There sitting in the driveway was the most beautiful candy red 23 tea bucket you could ever imagine. Oh, wow. Now, this car was owned by a man named Jim Grant, who was the president of the Riverside Roadsters at the time. And this little tea bucket, I mean, was just absolutely gorgeous. Everything was chromed on it. He won every custom car show that he, was, that he entered it in. And the car was featured in numerous Hot Rod magazine and all the magazines at the time mm-hmm. because it was a very famous car. So I walked out, and I was just starstruck by staring at this, this car. I'd never seen anything like this. It was incredible. So yeah. Jim says, you want to go for a ride? Well, <laughs> of course. course. <laughs> he picks me up and dumps me in the seat, you know, and he fires the thing up, and it's like sitting on an earthquake with this thing rumbling, and we backed out into the street, and, of course, all the cars in the street stopped. Back, yep. back then, they lit, you know, these hot rods literally did stop traffic because people weren't used to seeing something like that, and especially something as sparkling, as beautiful as this car was. So. Right. We backed up, and he took off down the street and nailed it, and this thing nailed me against the seat, and by the time he got to third gear, we must have been doing 120 miles an hour. I mean, oh fastest I've ever been in my life, you know, and I, my mouth is, you know, wide open, and uh, <laughs> I'm just sitting there just like terrified, but, you know, ecstatic at the same time, and yeah. we got down to the end of the street, and the street made a little bit of a curve, so he slowed down after he hit third gear, took his foot off the gas, and I asked him, wow, how fast will this car go? And he goes, you know, I don't know. I'm taking it out to the drags next weekend, and I'm going to see. And I looked at him and said, what's, what's the drags? Yeah. He goes, boy, you don't know what d- drag races are? <laughs> and uh, I go, no. He goes, well, you better find out. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I came back home and went running over to my grandfather's house, who lived a couple of doors down the street from us. And I ran in the house and said, Grandpa, what are the drag races? He goes, oh, you want to see the drag races? Come on, let's go. Cool. It happened in the same day. We jump in his car go to Riverside Raceway, and there happened to be a divisional drag race going on that day. And I literally, uh, you know, I didn't know anything about what drag races were, and we pulled into the backside of the track. Not My grandfather used to, and I used to like to sit on the starting line, so now we're pulling onto the backside of the track by the straightaway. Mm-hmm. Get out of the car, and uh, I follow him, and, you know, we crawl up these grandstands, 
And there wasn't a whole lot of people out there. And I'm looking at the track, and I see people walking up and down the track and the loudspeakers going. I don't know what's going on. It didn't, didn't look like any kind of racing or anything. I couldn't, couldn't imagine what was going on. All of a sudden, I heard somebody shooting at us. It sounded like a machine gun or something like this. And, you know, it's louder than heck, and I hear the shooting. And I jumped down on the, you know, on the floor of the grandstands there, you know, to, to duck. I was used to watching combat on TV, so I know if you heard gunfire, you got to duck. So I, I ducked down like that, and I'm hiding, and I'm terrified. And I look around, and nobody else is moving. They're sitting there. My grandpa, he starts laughing at me. He goes, you know, get up here. And he kind of pulls me up in the seat, and I hear this banging, crackling, and this, this gunshots going off. And I look out on the track and here's this spindly looking car with this long front end tubes and these little bicycle tires on the front and it's rolling towards what looks like a, a starting line there's men telling him to roll forward and this thing is crackling and you know you know it's just a <laughs> yeah. dragster idling you know and yep. i'm i'm like wow what is that i see this the christmas tree i've never seen a christmas tree i see the lights count down like that it gets to green he steps on the gas and starts, at the time they smoke the tires all the way down the track, he takes off, roaring down the track. I stand up, plug my ears, I'm screaming like, ah, what, what is that? He goes screaming by, you know, in a cloud of smoke. Right as the car gets to the finish line, the clutch explodes in the car. Oh, my gosh. Blows the car in half. Now, Riverside Raceway, over the finish line, they had the champion, champion spark plug bridge over the, over the finish line uh -huh. at the drag strip that you know, that went across the straightaway there, and that's a very famous, very famous bridge. Sure. Well, the car blew in half right as he got to that bridge. The back half of the car with him in it in the roll cage rolled up the side of the embankment, hit the bridge, and rolled back down. Meanwhile, the front of the car just kept going straight. He <laughs> yeah. rolled back down on the track, ended up upside down, and everybody there is dead quiet. Yeah. And I can see he unbuckled himself. He got out of the car and threw his hands up in the air, and everybody cheered. And I just thought, <laughs> oh, my gosh, this is the greatest thing this I've ever seen This is drag racing, and the cars go fast, and they explode. <laughs> uh, oh, my gosh, my gosh, and I have been hooked on it ever since then. I think so. Yeah, what a you wonderful know? story. I love that. <laughs> well, let's crawl under the hood and talk a little bit about a challenge or a failure. I'd love for you to share a great challenge, great failure that you faced along the way in your career. But the most important part of this has to do with how you overcame that situation, and what did you learn right. from it? Right. Well, that's easy. My greatest, it wasn't necessarily a failure, but it certainly was the saddest time in my career. And in 1996, I was fortunate enough to uh, do the paint scheme on Blaine Johnson's top fuel car. Mm -hmm. And it was a, it actually was a paint scheme for the Navy. Uh, we were trying to get the Navy to sponsor his car. And I did this really radical looking paint scheme on the car that actually was a graphic representation of maybe a jet strafing the water it was water splashes flying up but it was very asymmetrical very sharp lines and it was painted by one of the best painters in the country a guy named bob gertis out of circus paints in new york and blaine was was on top of the world then he was on track to be the uh, the world the world champion that year and I was at the race in Sonoma, which is like the midpoint of the year, and they rolled that car out of the trailer with my paint scheme on it, and it was just beautiful. I, I, was, I was just ecstatic that the would-be world champion now has got my paint scheme on his car, which kind of puts me into catbird seat there, you know? Yeah. You know, as being one of the top designers, you know, I talked to him about doing a painting uh, of the car, 
and uh, he was, you know, all for that. So I, I was set to go. You know, I could run ad, I could run advertisements at the end of the year. You know, Blaine Johnson, the world champion, chooses design tech graphics. You know, for nice. his paint schemes. You know, and, yeah. And to do the painting, it was just, it was just awesome. I couldn't, I couldn't have been happier. Well, just two months later, at the race in Indy, the U.S. Nationals at Indy, Blaine was tragically killed. Yeah, I remember that. that. And yeah. uh, I didn't go to Indy that year. Uh, I had gone the previous years, but I'd worked so hard that summer that I just wanted some time off. And my girlfriend and, and myself went to Lompoc, which was just south of Santa Maria, where Blaine lived. So we went there for the weekend. Well, we get back on Saturday night from having dinner, and I turn on the TV, and I see a picture of Blaine Johnson when he was born in 1964 to 1996. Yeah. And it went off, and I went, um, what happened? Right. So I watched him. I watched him probably 12 times that night. I saw that fiery crash uh. on TV, and I was just, I was devastated. Yes. I was devastated. And the worst part that really shocked me was the next morning we got up to leave, and we went to the little cafe next door to have breakfast and i walked by the newsstands and there was a color picture of blaine's car on fire on the cover of all the newspapers in that newsstand and we stepped into the restaurant and everybody's reading the story and i grabbed one of the papers and looked at it and this is the thing that really that really shocked me the picture there was this nice color picture nice there was this color yeah. picture of blaine's car with flames coming out at the back kind of a, a back angle shot of the car going away and if you looked at my graphic paint scheme on the car, the car was dark blue with yellow on the side, and the yellow was was the ripped up thing in flames. And the yellow came off the car and went right up into the flames. And the thing is, my design on the side of the car mimicked the shape of the flames coming out of the back of that car. Oh, man, that must have made the hair on the back of your neck stand it up. It did. It freaked me out. It looked like I... It looked like I knew that was going to happen, like I forecasted somehow. Uh, or I'm thinking, did I feng shui that to happen? No, I mean, what, no. <laughs> what was it? It, it, yeah. it just freaked me out. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I came, I came home from that, and I couldn't go in my studio. I couldn't design. I couldn't do anything. I didn't, I didn't want to do this anymore. It, I, I didn't know how to get over this. Wow. You know, I had started the painting uh, of him, and I, I just just had gotten the paint, painting going, you know, and I came home and stopped everything. I, yeah. I didn't want to design. I didn't want to do anything. And actually, I don't think I worked for uh, several weeks. I didn't go in my studio. And, and finally, it was just, uh, f you know, good friends that called me up that needed, you know, some sponsor re proposal renderings and stuff that got me to go out there and continue on with that. What really uh, got me going again was, uh, it, it wasn't until a couple of years later my dad came over, and my dad was an ex-Navy man, and he was really proud of that deal that I was working with the Navy. And he came in the studio one day and says, whatever happened to that Navy painting you were, you were doing, of the guy with the Navy car? I said, well, Dad, you know, the, you know, that was Blaine. He was, you know, he was killed in that car. I just can't bring myself to even look at that. I mean, I'm, I'm still just really broken up over that. And he just said, son, you need to finish that. You need to finish that as a tribute to him. There you go. You know, you need to get going again and do that as a reminder of, of, uh, of his life and, yes. uh, and what you did, you know. So I started working on that painting, and uh, as I started painting it, my, my, dad, my dad's health took a turn for the worse. He was, he was in his 80s and was having, you know, heart problems and stuff. And mm -hmm. I worked on that painting for about two weeks, and my dad went into the hospital. Oh, no. And so 
at the same time I was worried about my dad, it was it helped me to go out and work on that painting. It took my mind off off my dad's problems. And uh, yeah. sure enough, one Sunday morning I got the call from the doctor and you know, he wanted to know if uh for lack of better words, if he wanted me to if 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 I wanted him to pull the plug on my dad, you know. Uh, he was he oh my was gosh. real pain. So I went to the hospital and I held my dad's hand and he was still coherent enough and I asked him, Dad, do you want me to let you go? And he squeezed my hand like, Yes, let me let me go and so yeah. oh my gosh. Uh, they, they put my dad to sleep and you know, basically and I felt you know, holding his hand I felt him pass away, which which was an incredible feeling because I felt I felt peace. Yeah. I, I felt him feel peace for once, you know. Oh my and goodness. Came, and I came home and, and walked out in my studio the next day to look at that painting to work at it and I looked at it and realized, well, that painting's done. Mm. You know, the Blaine Johnson painting. So Yeah. Uh, wow. Well, what an amazing personal story. I want to thank you for sharing that with us. Just yeah, uh, heart wrenching, but man, <laughs> well, uh, you would never expect you would never expect that. Just stuff yeah. like that to happen for somebody who just designs, you know, does paint designs. Yeah, you know? yeah. Life uh, wields some funny things our way, and we're tested all the time on how to deal with it. But it sounds like your father taught you a very important final lesson in life that I'm sure you've carried through to today. Wow, wonderful. Let's shift gears here, David, and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share one of those aha moments you had in your career. I like to say it's when the headlights came on and illuminated your way for a new idea or a new direction that you had. And tell us, how did you turn that aha moment into a success? Well, I would suppose that was when I won my first Best Appearing Car Award. Mm. Now, uh, I don't know if your listeners are aware of this, but at, at every NHRA and NIHRA, every national event, you know, there's 650, on the average, 600 to 650 cars show up uh, for the event. And at each event, the sanctioning body, in this case NHRA, selects one car out of all of those cars as the best-appearing car at the event. That has the neatest paint job, the nicest design, just the one that looks better than anyone else's. Mm-hmm. In 1989... I won my first after just being in business for about seven months. I won with Tony Mack, Tony McCallum's uh, Daytona Funny Car. It was a purple, purple funny car, and uh, I won my first best appearing at the race in Sonoma with that. Cool. I never expected to win one in that short amount of time, as, as far as designing and stuff. But and it was a purple car, and after that, it seems like uh, nine out of ten cars I designed had to be purple. Everybody <laughs> wanted purple. You set a new trend again. <laughs> I set a new trend, and purple wasn't in the sport at the time. I yeah. mean, that was too wild of a color. Everything was red and, you know, red, white, and blue and yep. yellow and stuff. So purple was, you know, an unusual color. But after that, purple was everywhere. <laughs> That's yeah. really cool. Would you yeah. say that was your proudest career moment, or is there another one you'd like to share with oh, us? Oh, no. My, it's funny because it was the same track, and the very next year, the very next year, I, I also won Best Appearing ah. at that car with a, at that track with a car owned by Ray and Shirley Strausser. It was called the Insanity, and it was a, a Corvette. And I got to design a paint job on that, and of course, you know, what do you do for something called Insanity? Well, I came up with a pink fuchsia, really yeah, more of a fuchsia-looking uh, on this car, very wow. wild, wild-looking uh, paint scheme. In fact, I even had to. I was friends with Tom Stratton, the painter who painted it, and he had me lay out the paint scheme on the car because this is going to take all day to lay it out. You do it. I want you to know how hard this is. So yeah, yeah, I spent hours laying out this paint scheme. Well, anyway, it won best appearing the very next year. I was very happy about that because I really liked this car. It was really different. 
Now, the cool thing was is I got to go out on the track. I had a photo pass at the time. I got to go out on the track because they would bring the car out before someday during during the finals, during the day, during the break, uh, towards the end of the day, they would come out and uh, present all these special awards to people, you know, best appearing, best engineer, best appearing crew. So they bring the car out and they did the awards presentation. So they hooked the tow truck back up to it, and I jumped in the back of the truck, a pickup truck, as they would tow the car down the track so everybody to see it could see it. Mm-hmm. So as they started towing the car down the track, my old friend Tom the Mongoose McEwen mm-hmm. happened to be doing color commentary in the tower that day, and he says, uh, "He says, look in the back of the truck there. The uh, there's Dave Peters sitting in the back of the truck. That's the guy that designed the paint scheme on this car." So let him know if you like his work and uh, let him hear it if you appreciate it. Well, as we proceeded down the track, I got a standing ovation the entire length of that track. And there wow. must have been 50,000 people there. And everybody stood up as we went by and cheered and clapped. Oh, By wow. the time we got to the finish line, I, tears were running down my face. I was, I was just <laughs> blown away. I mean, how many people are fortunate enough to get a standing ovation for from 50,000 people. Oh gosh. Yeah, now you that's know. a proud moment. I love that. It, it was. <laughs> Very it cool. Was. I will never forget that. Gives me goosebumps to think about that when I <laughs> when I recall it, you know. Fantastic. Let's have a little fun here. What was your first really special vehicle? Oh, my first car when I was a kid, a 1967 Sunbeam. Sunbeam. Oh, cool. Those are a cool. Sunbeam Alpine. Yeah. And, and I was I was into road racing out in the country. All my friends thought, oh, you're going to get killed in this thing. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to take it out there and, and get killed in it. And actually, that car handled so well because they, they used to use them in uh, in road racing a lot. And mm-hmm. uh, that, car w- that car was so fast, I was used to driving my grandparents' 63 Valiants at the time. They both had <laughs> this matching Valiants. So I... I used to race those out in the country, and I knew I could go around this turn at 60 miles an hour in that Valiant and stay on the and stay on the road, you know. So when I got that Sunbeam, I went around that same corner at 90 miles an hour, and the the car didn't it didn't even phase the car at all, just whoop, around the corner, you know. So Very cool. I realized then, well, if I ever if I ever lose it in this car, I really will kill myself, <laughs> you know. It'll be yeah. going too fast to uh, to uh, recuperate from whatever happens. So yeah, yeah, those I had, are cool. I had a lot of fun in that car. I rebuilt the engine several times, and it really taught me how to work on cars. Because uh, being a, a a British car, everything was linkage, and you couldn't get any parts for it. I had to find a second car just for parts. I really did a lot of work. I painted it a couple of different times, restored the interior. I think I pulled the motor out of that thing seven different times. <laughs> those I are got cool. I could pull the motor out in, in 45 minutes, you know? Yeah, those are cool little cars. I had a good friend in high school named Dick who had a Tiger. So, oh, yeah. Well, I would have loved to have one of those. Yeah, Whew. yeah. Yeah, those are great, too. How about seller's remorse? Is there a vehicle you've owned in your life that you let go, you really wish you could have back? Yes, an original 66 Barracuda S-Type. Ah, very cool. Uh, in the, uh, let's see, when was this? In the early 80s. I had a little Datsun station wagon that I wanted to get rid of, and I found a woman who, whose husband had died, and he left his car to his daughter, and it was this 66 Barracuda, all original. Mm. And it was too powerful for her to drive, so I swapped her my little Datsun station wagon for that Barracuda. Oh, what a swap. <laughs> oh, what a swap. That, you know, that was the neatest car. And, uh, yeah. you know, I ended up selling it. I ended up selling it. So maybe ten years later, for for a couple of thousand dollars, yeah. and because uh, I, I needed the money, and and I had I had another car, I had two other cars at the time, so 
I sold that to a friend of mine who just kept begging me for it. And sad thing was, he just cut up that car and made a drag race car out of it. He cut oh. the cut the back out and tubbed it, put a bigger motor in it, and uh, and he was it was kind of a home built racer, so it wasn't done yeah. on a really quality level. And just the fact that he just took that all original stock car and hacked it up. And of course, this was you know this was before this was probably about 1990. So mm-hmm. it was before the real collector's car and the muscle car thing turned around, you know. Right. Had I known if I could have kept that car for 10 years longer, it would have been worth a fortune. Oh, I would had we done. all known things about cars yeah. like that. Um, How about current projects? Is there something you're working on right now that really has you excited? Well, I'm I'm bundling up and finishing a, a 10-year-long project on the that I'm doing on the history of drag racing through my illustrations. I've done 170-some paintings. Uh, for this book, and uh, unlike most histories of drag racing, I'm not concerned with the names, the big names in the sports, because they've been covered enough. I'm I'm looking at more of the aesthetic qualities of drag racing, the artistic cars, the cars that were really different, and the oddball ones, but the ones that were just really artistic. I'm 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 looking at this from a stylistic point of view. So it starts all the way to the 50s and ends up with with current times. So I'm just I just finished, uh, two weeks ago, I just finished my last piece for, for the book. I might add some more, but at least I finished the one that'll, that'll complete the book project. And I have it, I have it uh, pretty much written and buttoned up, and I'm just getting ready to start shopping for a publisher. I really wanted to present it as a coffee table book. That, that's been my, uh, something I've want, wanted to do for a long time, so I'm, I'm really hoping that it turns out well. Oh, it sounds like it's going to be fantastic. You know, we have Peter Bodersteiner on here from Motorbooks. Maybe you should give him a call. He might be a good resource for you for He's publishing. one of the guys I will talk to, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, great guy. All right, here's a very introspective question for you, David. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why? <laughs> uh, I'd say I'd have to be the, the uh, 1966 Stone Woods & Cook 41 Willys. Oh, cool. Well, why why that vehicle? <laughs> well, because it was probably one of the more influential in drag racing. It's by far the most famous car in drag racing. So not only did it look beautiful, it ran like a bat out of hell, and it's the most famous one. So, uh, you know. There you, you go. Think? Why not? <laughs> so, David, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsor. No more worries about a dead battery. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium-ion technology that'll start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology and reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle every time. Includes a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight, and it easily recharges with USB outlets so you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality, design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at Genius Chargers All right, David, we're back, and this is the last lap, and this is where I fire off a series of questions, and I'm going to ask you to give our listeners some really quick blips of the throttle answers. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? 
I suppose when you're driving in the snow and you start to slide to turn away from the skid as opposed to in <laughs> dirt racing where you turn into the skid. Yes, just the opposite, definitely. Just the opposite. <laughs> it, it saved me from getting in, into a 30-car chain reaction crash oh, one time. Oh, gosh, yes. Good advice. Would you share one of your personal habits you believe has contributed to your success over the years? I would say it's just my work ethic that I got from my father and which has really helped being an artist because artists pretty much always want to get in the mood or be inspired. And I just threw that away and would just go out and sit down and work. Mm-hmm. I would work anyway, no matter what I felt like. And the minute you start working, you get into the mood and get caught up in it. You know, I've had many artists here on Cars, yeah, and I've heard that from many of them. You just have to sit down and start working, start doing it, yeah. start painting, start creating. So great advice. Yes, it has to be very, very matter-of-fact. Yes. Do you have a resource that you think our listeners would really enjoy? Oh, uh, hmm. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, uh, because I like historical drag racing stuff, I visit a lot of sites. We did it for love, uh, drag racing, which was like the first uh, retrospective historical site that showed all the old cars and stuff. So anything, any of those sites that pertain to the history of uh, drag racing, I'm really, uh, really drawn to. But I have such a wide range of interests, you know. I read a lot, so I'm into ancient mythology and philosophy, and I, I read and study physics. So wow. I have such a wide range of stuff that I'm interested in. I'm a musician. I'm a jazz drummer. So uh, I'm on YouTube. Wow. Uh, you know, YouTube is a great resource for, for everything. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah, absolutely. If you want to – I just learned how to rebuild the carburetor or my lawnmower – uh, by by watching something on YouTube. Yes, so. I've done the same thing. How about the Quarter Mile Foundation? Have you frequented that website? We had them here as a guest on Cars, yeah? I've done some graphic work for them. I des- did some design work for them, but no, I haven't actually okay. even visited their website. Yeah, well, you need to do that. It's It's great. I will. Well, you talked about reading. Is there one book in particular you think the Cars, yeah listeners would really enjoy? Oh. <sighs> I know there's well, lots of books out there, but... Yeah, you know, uh, something I'm reading right now that's really helping me a lot, and, and because for me being an artist, I don't know how much this would pertain to cars, but for me being an artist, I have to constantly kind of reinvent myself all the time mm-hmm. uh, to keep inspired. So I'm reading this book right now by uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza. It's called Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. Sounds great. It's really about just getting out of, learning how to get out of, out of your box and really to reinvent yourself and not be caught up in the typical habits and things like that that might that might be stifling you in certain ways and and as far as you know being an artist i i deal with that all a lot you always have artist block yes you know that kind of stuff so it's real important for me to try to stay fresh and uh keep my mind active and uh that's a very important factor to me. Well, that's a new book. It'll be on the guest recommended books list on the Cars yeah website. That sounds great. Sounds like the subtitle should be How to Avoid Shoulda, Woulda, Coulda. So. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, listeners, yeah. you can find links to all these great resources David has shared with us at CarsYeah.com slash David Carl Peters. All right, David, we're up to the checkered flag. And this last question can be a real doozy. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, but don't worry about the cost, because that doesn't matter today, because I'm buying, what would that one vehicle be, and why? Oh, I would have had a 66 Dodge Charger, and if I could have had Boyd Coddington build it for me, uh, that, would have, that would have been the ultimate. Yes. What color would you have chosen? Oh, probably candy red, pretty traditional, but you know, if I could get him just to chop the, 
chop the front windshield down just a little bit, you know, just a couple of inches to to flatten out the top because the the top of that car, the windshield was a little taller, mm-hmm. and I would like to lower the windshield just a little bit to to flatten out the roof line and uh, have it lowered. And now that they have, you know, came out with bigger size wheels, you know, maybe you put some uh, 18, 20 inch rims on it. Yeah. And candy red, and uh, you know, with a probably a beige or tan leather interior built by Boyd, I just think that would have been the ultimate. It sounds like it would have been the ultimate, absolutely. Well, maybe someday you can find a car like that, have somebody build it for you. I've had many builders here on this show that could do that for you, and you could have that dream car. Yeah, absolutely. Well, David, you've taken me on a great ride today. I really enjoy your stories, and I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yeah listeners. Could you give us one parting piece of guidance before that Christmas tree goes to green and you'd head down that quarter mile in that 66 Dodge Charger? I would say just uh, follow your passion and and move forward. Don't worry about what other people are doing. Uh, If you come up with a good idea, other people are going to copy you and follow you. But, you know, it's better to be the innovator than than be a follower. Yes, great advice. And what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and what you're doing? Well, they could go to my website. It's got Actually, three different names, dragracingartist.com, mm-hmm. or, or you can use my name, davidcarlpetersart.com, or my graphic services, designtechgraphics.com. There you go. Well, again, listeners, you can find links to everything we've talked about here today at carsyad.com. Just put David in the search box, and his show notes page will pop up with links to his site and everything that he shared with us. David, thanks for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with me and the listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the drag strip. Thank you, Mark. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!